Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our podcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Tonight's lesson comes from Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, in which Paul, with his letter to Titus anyway, addresses the qualifications of an elder. Um, I like to make this disclaimer beforehand of, I hope I have a job after this lesson, um, preaching about elders in the room with your elders is sometimes dangerous. There was one time that I got to preach a whole month of lessons on elders with no elders present. It was the best lesson on elders I've ever done. I've not done them since. Um, And we ended up with really good elders after that. I don't know if I had anything to do with it, but, um, you know, uh, elders and leaders in churches are very important, and and Paul's going to address some of that. But tonight, what I want us to do is, is for many of us, for many of us, studying the qualification of our leaders is something that we have done on numerous occasions. And I, I don't want to, I don't want to get bogged down in, in this text, in this passage, and spend, you know, 30, 45 minutes on it. And I know you don't want to listen to me for 45 minutes either. So, uh, well, we're just going to hit a few things and talk about a few things and then, uh, move on to other things. Uh, in this in this series at a different time. But as we begin together, let's go to our text and let's read it with each other. Titus chapter 1, starting in verse 5. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town, as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe, and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's house, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Let's let's talk about our text a little bit tonight. Now, this was working earlier. Turn it on. I'm just having all kinds of trouble tonight. Um, well, we start in the first few verses here of this particular text. He says, the reason I left you in Crete, he, he had a purpose for Titus. And we talked a few weeks ago about the challenge of, of, of island ministry and some of the things that Titus might have encountered and dealt with in this ministry. But he said, I have left you in this island. I have sent you to this place so that you can do a couple of things. First is so that you can set in order what remains. So apparently there's some things going on in these churches, in these towns that, that maybe for one reason or another, whether it's good reasons or bad reasons, There's some things that are unfinished. Some things about maybe their structure, some things about their doctrine, some things that maybe they're doing that that they need to to set in order. This word ortho, which is the word here that's used as set in order, is the same word that we get like orthopedics from. 
Okay, and, and, and it's the idea of, of making things something that was not straight, making it straight again, putting it, setting like setting a bone, okay? And so it's like there's the correct way that things need to be done. Then I've sent you here to do some of that. That's the first reason. The second reason was to install elders in all the cities. Now, it is so important and vital that as a church, we have good spiritual leaders. And good spiritual leaders... It requires a certain level of qualification. Not, not in, in the way the world thinks necessarily. The world thinks good leaders are, are, are men who are successful financially. Men who are successful in a lot of different ways. God says spiritual leadership is when they excel in the godly things. And that's the things He's going to talk about here in, in just these short few verses. But I want to give you this challenge. I want to give you this challenge that, number one, the qualifications in Titus and also in the book of 1 Timothy is a standard of living that each and every one of us should strive to live. That each and every one of us should strive to live. And if we look at some of these qualifications, especially the, the personality side of it, and we say, man, you know, I, I'm struggling in that one right there. I, you know, that if, if I was, I, I couldn't be an elder because of that or because, maybe that's something in your life that you need to, you need to invest some time in and you need to work on. The second thing is this. We have, we have what I consider. You, others may not consider this, but I consider it a grave problem in the church. And that is this. You're all interested now, right? We spend millions and millions and millions of dollars every year training preachers. I'm a product of some of those millions of dollars. But we do not, as a church as a whole, really and truly invest in men to train them to be the elders, the leaders, the shepherds of the church. And I think that needs to change. I think we need to do a better job encouraging our young men, our youth group age guys, our, our young fathers, of looking into the future and, and preparing them to desire the position of leading God's people. I, I was talking to a really good elder friend of mine one time, and uh, he was one of the elders at Kingston. And he became an elder at the same time they hired me. And he, he had led the search committee. And uh, so I guess that was his tryout. So they made him an elder after that. And uh, a year into it, I said, Ken, I said, tell me one thing you've learned about being an elder that you didn't know a year ago. He goes, I should have said no. And, and his reasoning behind that was because he wasn't prepared. He wasn't ready. He had not been trained to, 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 to be an elder. And I think that it would be a great benefit to us as a church if we made it one of our priorities to train and prepare men to step up and be leaders and not just kind of thrust them onto the scene and, and say, here you go. Because there's plenty of knowledge, plenty of practical stuff in Scripture that can prepare men for that. And I think that that's something that needs to be a focus in the church. That being said, 
As we move through this text, we're going to see some qualities um, for serving as an elder in the church. And in this particular text, and so does Timothy, uh, they break it down in, into three different segments, if you will. We're going to break it down in three different segments. The first is going to be his private life with his home and his family. So, so let's read verse 6 together. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a, woman, uh, uh, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's house, hold, he must be blameless. You got to go on. Um, we'll stop with verse 6. So, so let's talk about a couple of things real quick. First thing he says here is he's got to be the husband of one wife. Now, I told Danny I was going to jump off into something that might get me in trouble, and I'm not going to jump too far into it tonight. But I, I think it's intriguing to me that if you read the NIV, if you read, I think, the English Standard Version, maybe. Well, let me just ask you. When, when you read verse six, uh, 6, an elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife. Whose Bible says something different there regarding the wife situation? Whose Bible says uh, the husband of one wife? Okay? Whose Bible says what mine says? Faithful. To his wife. Okay? Does anybody say anything different? Anybody's? I think there's a couple of different translations there. It's, it's, you could look at that and go, well, you know, they just don't understand what they're translating, right? Because we all know that it's supposed to be the husband of one wife, okay? Um, the literal translation here for this word, for this phrase, from the Greek to English, is a one-woman man. Now, what does that mean? A one-woman man. One wife. One wife at a time. Faithful to your wife. So here's, there's, there's all these different ways that people have translated this. And I've looked at them and I've thought about them and I've prayed about them. And you know what I've come to the conclusion of? I've come to the conclusion that I think they all might be right. I think they all might be right. And this is what I mean by that. The standard of marriage in which God has set for His children is to have a spouse and to be with them as our vows say to what? Till death do you part. Okay? That, that's what He expects out of us, right? And Jesus says, hey, uh, this, is, this is paraphrasing. This is Matthew's version here. What God brings together, you don't have any business getting in the middle of and messing up. You know? Don't, don't, don't mess with it. Hey, that is God's standard. Not just for elders, but that's what God wants out of everybody. Now, is it always going to be like that? No. There's going to be times and situations in which that's not always going to be the case. And we're not going to go down that rabbit hole today. But along with being faithful to your wife and having that one wife and that one marriage, there is a level of faithfulness and love that has to be present. And when he says be faithful to your wife in the NIV, what it makes me think of is this, is as you're looking at relationships in the church, your elders' marriages should be some of the strongest marriages in the church. Because they understand what Scripture teaches when it comes to love. They understand what Paul means when he says, husbands, love your what? Wife, as Christ loved 
the church. They get that. They know the importance of that. And so I think if you ask me that even though they translate it different, I don't think that one's teaching one thing and one's teaching another. I think they're both teaching the same thing. And I think when you put them together, it even deepens the meaning of that phrase. But not only are you just... Because we all know people that they've been married to the same person their whole life. They fit the technical qualification of just married to one person, but that marriage is awful. Right? They're not a faithful person. And so I think if you put these two together, and, and, and for lack of better words, you marry the two ways that it's translated, you get a deeper meaning of what that marriage is supposed to be. Because if you've got a, if you've got a man that is just married to his wife, but he doesn't love his wife... He's not really truly living a Christian lifestyle. Agreed? And you want that guy that is living the model marriage by being faithful to that one person that he has made that lifelong commitment to. And, and I think that's what God expects out of a man who is going to be and is a shepherd in the church. It, it's always that, that, that phrase, one woman man. That, that can throw you for a loop if you're not careful. The next thing he says is he's got to have faithful children. He's got to have faithful children. And, 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 and the Greek word here, we're, we're going to do a little word study just for fun. It's technon. And it's the word for child under the household authority of his parents or her parents. So he's, so he's talking here about the, the kids that he's raising in his home. Now, the, 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 the maybe intriguing thing about this particular um, situation is in the culture in which they lived. You know, hey, if... Uh, in our culture, our culture is what? I'm going to grow up, I'm going to move out, I'm going to get married, and me and my family are going to live somewhere else. We're not going to go back home and live with mom and dad. In this culture, in the first century, it was very common for children to remain at home even after they were married, and it just kind of, you know, the compound just kind of grows. It was a very natural thing, and it, and it could be a little bit different for them maybe than it is now, but uh, as far as, you know, uh, that particular situation but as you look at a man and the way he raises his children, it is so important for him to understand the, the spiritual love that he has to use in that context. Because if you see a man who is raising his children and they are not respectful and they are not obedient and they are not loving and they are not, you know, they don't listen. And I may have just described my kids and if I did, I'm sorry. Um, that's not a man that you want to to go to in the middle of conflict, is it? That's not a man that's going to be able to shepherd. But he's going to have to control. Not, not, and control is really not the word. Uh, it's raise them in a way in which they become Christ-like. And so he has to have faithful children. We're going to keep moving through that. Uh, and so, so we have the family quality, the private quality of his home. Then we move into the personal nature. His inner qualities. And this is where Paul spends the most time in both sets of qualifications here and in First Timothy, Timothy. He says that an elder shouldn't be overbearing. He should be flexible in his opinions. And he should be considerate of other people's viewpoints. It's, uh, it's not good to go into a conversation and say my way is the only way. I've sat in meetings with men who are that way. And it, and it only leads to, to divisiveness. It only leads... The problems. He shouldn't be quick-tempered. 
He shouldn't be quick-tempered. He shouldn't be prone to anger. What I've seen, though, is, is I have seen men, and I think this is very telling of them, I have seen men in their own lives that this has been, and they'll tell you, at one point in my life, this was my biggest challenge. Guys, we have a habit, some of us, especially when we were younger, to be a lot more quick-tempered than we are as we get older. And that's growth. But it's not someone that that is prone to anger. It should be someone who's who's not hot-headed, who, who anger is not the solution for everything. Not addicted to wine. Literally, not alongside wine. Wine is not their companion. Drink is not their companion. They're not violent individuals. They're not someone who's just looking for a fight. Someone who, you know, this kind of goes back to being overbearing and quick-tempered. Um, if, if they're overbearing and quick-tempered, every situation is going to turn into what? It's going to turn into a conflict. Uh, it's going to turn into a verbal assault or a physical assault on the person that they're, they're, they're working with. And that's not something that you need as a leader. Not pursuing dishonest gain. Not pursuing dishonest gain. There is the idea in Scripture, and uh, this may be some, this elders, you, you, I don't know, you might want to listen to this. There's an idea in Scripture that it's okay to pay your elders. Okay? A man's worth is, you know, worth his labor. Uh, they should, you know, be rewarded double. You know, there, there, there's an idea there, but what if a guy becomes an elder just, just for the gain of the office? For the gain of the status? That's, that's, that's not what this is about. And so he talks about the positive things. He needs to be hospitable. He needs to be hospitable. Now this, this qualification to me is, has been lost in our society. This qualification has been lost in our society today. Um, because, well, because of hotels. I'm just gonna say it. Because of hotels. Uh, I remember hearing stories that my great grandmother would tell of, um, the, uh, in, in Savannah, when they, when my great granddaddy was an elder, they would have the speaker for the gospel meeting. And they had seven elders at the time in Savannah. And so the, the meeting would be five or six nights. And I'm sure the preacher loved this, but every night of the meeting, he would go and stay at a different elder's house. So he'd have to pack his stuff up every day and go to the next elder's house, unpack it for that night. But they wanted to have this speaker into their homes. You know, in our society, we have lost that in the home thing, haven't we? We have lost that. Uh, somebody comes knocking on my door at 3.30 in the morning. Not in the morning. In the afternoon, I'm like, what do they want? What have I done? What have my kids done? And you're like, who, you know, it, it's just, it's just weird for someone to just come and knock on your door now. For some of you, you grew up in a time where you may not have even knocked. People just maybe just came in. It, it was normal to have relationships with people in your house and, and entertaining and, and being hospitable. We've lost the, that culture, I believe. But our leaders, our leaders should be above that culture. And they should be people who are welcoming, who are warm, who are, who are inviting individuals. They love what is good. Doesn't that sound like that should just be obvious? 
But you know, sometimes you have to put things in there because some people just won't get it unless you say it. Kind of like you buy a little doll and it comes with, you know, a floaty that's this big around and they have to put on it. This is not a life-saving device. Like, really? And an elder must love what is good. He should rejoice in what is good. He should have just a positive spirit. He should be one of those people that when you're around him, you can't help but feel better about the things that are going on. Now, again, three weeks ago, I challenged you with the question of what phrase is used six times in the book of Titus. This is right in with one of them. Doing what is good was the answer to that question. You may have even forgot I asked, a, I challenged you with that a few weeks ago. Someone that is self-controlled, they must be sensible and sane, keeps his head when everyone is losing it, upright, fair and respectful of others. They must be devout. They must be devout. Another way you could say that is they must be committed. They must be committed. When things of the church are going on, they are a part of that. Their life is a holy life. Their life is free of scandal. And they are disciplined. They are disciplined in their own life. And, and they are able to control their own appetites and their own passions and their own desires. These are all things that we've talked about and studied many of us many times. But then we get into the public nature. The public nature. Let, let's read verse 9 together. This is all important because he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Now, shepherds have a lot of hats that they have to wear. A lot of hats. But one of the most challenging ones is the hat of teaching. It's the hat of teaching. Which is why the Word of God is so important. It is so important because it has to be it has to be what they're grounded in in their life every single day. It has to be what dictates every decision that they make. It has to be what their decisions are based upon. It cannot be based upon opinions. It cannot be based upon traditions. It cannot be based upon political correctness. Every decision they make has to be based on the Word of God. And sometimes that means that a decision is not going to be made because it's going to require study. It's going to require contemplation. It's going to require prayer and understanding of something that may be difficult to figure out. But they are up to the challenge. They're not afraid of that. They're not afraid to study the Word of God and have their own thoughts be challenged. And when they do that, they're able to, and this is what I love this phrase, so that they can encourage others by sound doctrine. That's the first part of it. So that they can encourage others. As a shepherd, their job is not just to make decisions. Their job is not just to make sure the right things are being taught. But their job is to encourage each and every one of us. And so that gets us through our qualifications. But I, I want to leave you with a couple of thoughts here. First, if you've been entrusted with God's work, and I'm not just talking about as an elder, but if you've been entrusted with a, 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 a challenge to, to serve God, whether it's through teaching, whether it is through leading singing, whether it is through any, any ministry that, that you can come up with, I want you tonight to think about this. 
I want you to understand that God has entrusted you with a great work. God has entrusted you with a great, great work. And you need to take your responsibility serious. You need to understand that every conversation you have as you serve God is to be encouraging, but it's also to be a conversation, a word, an effort that is geared towards getting someone's soul closer to God. And that is a great, great responsibility. It can even become a burden if you're not careful. But it's a great responsibility. Take it serious. But then go back to verse 5. as what he is. He opened up for the reason that He left them there. It may be that You've got this responsibility, but yet there's something in your life that needs to be made straight. Something that's unfinished. An area that you know you need to grow in, and you've just been ignoring it. You know, it is so easy, it is so easy to look at things like the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Gentle, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. i got to sing the song. Gentleness, self-control. It's easy to look at those things and go, hey, love, joy, peace. Got them. And I'm great with them. And then ignore those that we really need to be working on. So look at something that might be unfinished in your life. And, and, and set it straight. Make it right. Work on it. And grow in it this evening. Let's close with a word of prayer tonight. God, I thank you so much, so much for the opportunity to proclaim your word tonight. And I pray that you will forever and always guide us in these studies. Help us to understand that we're trying to search out your will, what you want us to, to be about, what you want us to learn. Help us to always take our opinion out of it and truly Allow your spirit to convict us with the truth. God, I pray for our church family tonight. I pray, I pray so much for our elders as they lead this church. God, it is a, it is an awesome task, but it is a challenging task. One that they will be rewarded for, but one that comes with heartache. It comes with difficulties. It comes with frustrations. And God, in those moments, grant the men that lead us with peace. Grant them with guidance, with direction. Make clear the decisions that they should make when those times and moments come and give them the courage and the ability to make those decisions in a powerful and decisive way that, that gives you honor and glory. Be with us as we conclude our day of worship. Help us to... Help us to live each step of our walk this week as a light shining into this world. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. 
We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. Our Sunday worship services are at 1030 a.m. and 6 o'clock p.m. with Bible classes on Sunday mornings at 930 and Wednesday evenings at 630. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to listen again, and until then, remember, we are a Church of Christ caring for our community.